I came up through product learning about it from the value generation side. And so when when I approached these guys, they were like, okay, well, we're not even going to write a single line of code until you sign off 100% on our designs. And I was like, okay, well, that feels a little stilted, but let's try this. And, you know, it was actually a really good experience for me because it did kind of prove out, hey, look, you can actually save a lot of time on miscommunication by making sure that that design is really perfect. And, you know, it was a very simplistic design, so it didn't take a long time. We built a a native version for iOS and we shipped it and then I started using it. I didn't even tell anyone about it. It was just me at first. My name is Adam Juddelson. I am the founder and CEO of Network Nerd. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Six months moonlighting. There's nothing at the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. The company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. Not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Labhart. And today, how Adam Jettleson built an app to help you manage relationships in a more thoughtful and smart way. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there too. Terso makes this easy utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the data edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. Day to day, Adam Jettleson is obsessed with complex problem sets in the product world. He comes from Silicon Valley, joining Palantir Technologies in the early days, followed by some VC-backed startups. Outside of tech, he spends a lot of his free time with his kids, riding bikes and polishing up his dad joke trophies. He also does ocean swimming and loves the challenge to get out past the waves. When Adam was at Palantir, he was building great relationships with his colleagues. Then he realized that the relationships that he had in his life had moved on or changed in natural ways. He started to wonder if there was a way to build something easy to store information about people and prompt you to check in with those important relationships. This is a creation story of Network Nerd. Network Nerd's pretty simple. It's basically a contact app for your notes, except that it's powered by a personal assistant that gives you smart reminders. So the idea is that we have all this information that we learn about the people that we're meeting, their kids' names, where they live, what they're into, their favorite place to get tacos. 
And all that information is just really, really easy to forget, I've learned over the years, if you're not using it all the time, right? So for your absolute best friends that you're talking to multiple times a week or even sometimes multiple times a day, most of us don't have any trouble remembering that. But what about everybody else that we care about in our lives, the people we talk to every two or three weeks or that we talk to once a month, or maybe business contacts that we're talking to once a quarter or once every six months? It becomes really easy to forget that kind of information. For me, you know, the, the founding story really starts when when I was at Palantir and I was having a great time and I was building fantastic relationships with my colleagues. We were deep in the trenches working on really hard problems together. And then one day I kind of woke up and I realized that almost everybody that I had been friends with before I joined Palantir was pretty much gone from my life, you know, and not in like a bad way. It's not like we had a falling out or anything like that. It was just that I was forgetting you know, everything from calling my grandma to calling people who had been my best friends even just a couple of years before that. And so I really started out saying, you know, is there a way that I can really quickly just build an app and just track this information for me? And that's what I ended up doing. And I challenged myself. I said, I want to see if I can do this for $1,000 or less. And so I hired a team in India we worked through some designs together and it was super duper basic, but it allowed you to log in, create a note and store that note. And that's all it did at first. Tell me about the MVP. So that first version of the product you built, how long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? I think like most of us, I wasn't super proud of that first MVP, but what I was proud of was the speed. So we, we, we put that thing together and launched it in four weeks. And that's from, you know, the moment that I reached out and found this team in India to the time that I could actually download the app and check on it. They worked in a much more structured manner than I was used to. You know, I kind of learned product in the gorilla sense. You know, some people come up through the product ranks and I think they learn all the frameworks and the tools and they get deep into agile and safe and all of these like scrum processes and things like that. But I came up through product learning about it from the value generation side. And so when when I approached these guys, they were like, okay, well, we're not even going to write a single line of code until you sign off 100% on our designs. And I was like, okay, well, that feels a little stilted, but let's try this. And, you know, it was actually a really good experience for me because it did kind of prove out, hey, look, you can actually save a lot of time on miscommunication by making sure that that design is really perfect. And, you know, it was a very simplistic design, so it didn't take a long time. That's what we did first. And we built a, a native version for iOS and we shipped it. And then I started using it. I didn't even tell anyone about it. It was just me at first. With any MVP, you've got to make decisions and trade-offs. And you're alluding to a few in, in what you're talking about, uh, maybe in choosing the right team or how you approached the product. I want to dive into some of those about you know decisions and trade-offs around maybe technical debt or product uh, starting points, we'll say, and how you coped with those early decisions. Some of them I'm still living with, and we'll allude to that later but I can call it a couple. I mean, the first big one was that we went iOS only. And I was really focused, again, not on building a product, but on just building a tool that I could personally use. So I didn't even challenge the team on what tech infrastructure they were going to use to do the thing. And so it was kind of two or three weeks in before I realized that they were using native native code only and that we weren't going to be able to get off iOS anytime soon. So that was kind of the first big trade-off that we made. 
The second and third one were, you know, we didn't build any formal connections into the system. Like we, we decided that the first version of this product was going to be something where the value had to be about the relationships that you already had. And that was a really important distinction. And, you know, for the other products out there that are competitors to this, one of the major things that differentiates us is that we are not trying to help you find new connections in the world. We already meet enough people in our lives. The problem is that we lose track of them. And, you know, there, there's a lot of research that's been done about how many relationships we can actually maintain. And the, the number's low, you know, it's about 120, 125 people at a time. Well, the real challenge is to see, you know, over time, those people are going to shift. But if you can thoughtfully stay in touch with people from sort of the, the previous vintage, then you can actually expand how rich your life is because you're able to connect with those people. So that was another big trade-off that we made is to just say, we're going to focus on the people that you already know and helping you stay in touch with them. And we're not going to worry so much about surfacing new connections. We also made a trade-off that reminders weren't going to be important in the early version. We didn't have any email notifications. We didn't have any communication with the user. And there certainly wasn't any AI or anything intelligent happening. So those were all big trade-offs that we made in, in the early phase. This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble? Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. So you got the first version, the, the MVPs out there, you're getting some traction. How did you progress the product and mature it. And I think I'm, what I'm interested there, to put it in a box a little bit, I'm curious about 
how you built your roadmap and how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address or to fix with Network Nerd. The truthful first answer is that I didn't do anything for an entire year. I just let that apps in the iOS app store. Cause like I said, I built it for me at first, right? And, and then one day I was just kind of messing around in app store connect. And, you know, I said to myself, well, let's just see what happens if I flip it from, I think we had originally launched it as like, you know, $2 and 99 cents or something like that, like a one-time payment kind of app. And I just flipped it to free just to see kind of what would happen. And that very weekend that I flipped the bit, all of a sudden, a couple thousand people downloaded the app over that weekend. And that's kind of what first got me to take Network Nerd seriously. And that's where I'll, I'll segue into, you know, kind of how we thought about the roadmap. A couple of different foreign app review publications, I guess, had triggers set up for any apps that changed status in the app store. Little did I know that that was even a thing. When they noticed that, they a couple of different publications in foreign languages basically wrote like one paragraph reviews of my product. And they were like, oh my gosh, this is so great. Someone finally gave us a place to actually capture these notes on our contacts. Once I saw that the value proposition, even in its extremely ugly MVP state, was interesting to people, that's when I decided to start getting engaged in, in building a view of what the future could look like. And in order to do that, I started working with a marketing firm that could help me run series of experiments that would let me basically get in contact with people. And so we, we put up a landing page that described the value propositions of Network Nerd and what we were doing. And, you know, we offered people a couple bucks if they would sit down and talk to me about the product and tell me, you know, how they're struggling with keeping track of their friends and that sort of thing. And that was kind of the second moment that I said, oh man, there, there might be something here. We put that particular advertisement live up against the landing page to get people to book time with me. And it was live for less than 12 hours. And we booked 55 meetings in less than 12 hours, and we did it for an ad spend of about $8.50. That just got me thinking, whoa, like people are, there's something here, you know, I've got to take this seriously. So of course I did all of those meetings, and what we learned was that people love this concept. They really want to track the information on their friends. The issue is their main, the main obstacle to doing it is nobody wants to enter any data manually. Like no one wants to spend a single minute of time after they have a conversation punching those notes in. In essence, that pain point has become, you know, the overarching focus of every single feature that we have built over the last year where we've really been investing in the product. This will this will be interesting given the story thus far, but I'm curious about team. How how big is your team right now? That's a funny question. I never know how to answer it because the team is entirely built up of subcontractors and contractors and other firms. There's no full-time employees at Network Nerd other than myself. So sometimes it feels like it's five or six. And on some days it feels like it's just me. And it kind of depends on, you know, how much money we're putting into the product at a given moment, how many features we're developing. Are we doing marketing experiments at the same time? But fundamentally, the core team is an iOS engineer, a full stack React developer, and a marketing agency and some design resources. 
you know, interestingly, even though you're the only full-time person, you still got to look at a team and, and the people that you're going to partner with, right? And decide if they are the right people to join you, right? So tell me about how you did that. How did you decide that they were the winning horses to join you? It's kind of a funny story of trial and error. In my other pursuits, I have come to meet a lot of different folks who do software engineering and design and whatnot externally as agencies. And what I found was there's a subset of those agencies that actually really love the idea of Network Nerd. And so not totally dissimilar to a typical venture-backed startup where, you know, you're looking for people who are not only amazing, but who are also deeply passionate about the problem you're solving. What I found was there were all of these agencies and partners and even just individual people that I met who were really passionate about this particular idea and were willing to take on engagements with me, even though those engagements were typically a lot smaller than what they would normally do. You know, we didn't have big minimums. We didn't have, you know, 10 person teams. It was always like one or two people at a time sort of thing. And so what I really looked for was two things. One was, are they actually passionate about this problem in a first-class way? Like, are they themselves going to become a power user of the product? Because I think for something like this, especially when it's really early, you have to have that belief, you have to have that vision, and you have to be one of those few people who says, you know, I'm neurotic enough about my contacts that I'm willing to actually write down this information. And what I've come to realize is that it's a subset of the population. It's certainly not for everybody. Everybody, I think, believes in that value proposition of staying in touch, but not everybody is actually willing to do a little bit of work to make sure that that information stays in there. And then the second thing that I did, and I've become really enamored with this process, is I'm a huge believer that validating technical talent and validating design talent and product talent really applies to any of the different product disciplines, not just engineers. It requires an experiment. For a long time in my career, I used to shy away from this because I was like, oh, I don't want to spend the money. I don't want to waste the money. Like, we don't even know. Shouldn't we just have a better interview process? And what I've realized over the years is interview processes are so difficult to run in a first-class way, but actual real experiments where the person contributes code to the product are fantastic. So, you know, recently we built out the the first version of our web app for the product so that we can start to support more cross-platform workflows so that it's not just iOS. I went to a firm and I said, hey, do you have somebody that can do this work? And they said, yeah, great. Like, let's do two weeks together and let's see if we can get, you know, a minimum version of this thing out the door. And sure enough, we did. And the first guy worked out. But six months prior, I had done a different experiment. And, you know, I spent three or four weeks with the person and it just didn't work out. And so we let them go and, uh, you know, and I lost that money, right? And, And that hurt. But compared to the value that's generated when you find someone that you can trust, it's such a small price to pay. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vassell edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too, in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite and a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for CodeStory listeners. Head over to terso.tech slash CodeStory and get started today. 
That's T-U-R-S-O dot tech slash code story. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud costs, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast AI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. So let's talk about scalability. Given the size of the product and kind of where you are, I'm curious how you started out this process thinking about scalability. Was it a factor or is it something that you had to fight as you grew in any capacity? Tell me a little bit about that. We started in a way where I wasn't even doing proper oversight of the technical stack that we were choosing. You know, we ended up with like a very brittle MySQL database, a very old school PHP website that didn't want to play nicely with anything, very brittle authentication connections. Even the data structure in the database was not set up properly to handle, you know, more than a few dozen people basically logging into the product. So one of the things that we did was basically re-architecting the backend. And, you know, the nice thing now is, especially for a consumer app like this, where you're not breaking any new technical ground in terms of how you're dealing with data structures or anything like that, we're able to take advantage of, you know, all of the fantastic off-the-shelf technologies that are provided by most of the cloud providers. So we centered on Google Cloud and we started using Firebase and Firestore, and we started, you know, restructuring the data into the collections and using NoSQL instead of SQL, and started encrypting and doing all sorts of things that would basically give users higher confidence in the product and also higher reliability for the product as well. And we also started the process of basically taking each of the key functions that were were being done inside the iOS code uh, and bringing them out into cloud functions in Google so that they're easier to maintain and to prepare for that cross-platform future where we eventually are supporting everybody on every key system. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I'm proud that it works, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I feel like that's kind of a funny thing to say, but one of the one of the cool features that we have is that if you put in somebody's location, you know, we found, especially in the research and the interviewing, that people have this problem where they land in a new city when they're on a trip and they don't forget to reach out to the person that lives there. So you go to Boston and you forget, you know, you remember one or two of your friends in Boston, but you forget your other three friends that actually live in Boston. So wouldn't it be nice if when you landed, the app would just notify you, hey, this is who's there. This is how many miles they are away. And, you know, you can get in touch with them. And don't don't worry, it's not the creepy version of that. It's based on what you type in. It's not trying to track them or anything like nefarious like that. And kind of the moment that I was most proud of Network Nerd, we had just released that feature. I hadn't even fully tested it yet. And I was on an airplane 
And I remember getting a notification on the airplane that said that I was near this this client that I had been working with. And I was like, oh man, now I got to file another bug. Like, why is this thing like, you know, track? Why is it getting upset on the airplane? We're obviously nowhere near this person. And then I looked at the airplane map and sure enough, we were we were right over El Paso, which is where this individual happens to live. And I was like, oh, wow, this thing actually works, right? Like, you know, it wasn't obviously the use case expected. Like no one's going to reach out when they're on the airplane like that. And then I think, you know, the other the other thing I'm proud of is, like I said in the beginning, you know, Network Nerd is not this crazy advanced system that does things that no one has ever thought of doing before. But what it does do is it delivers a lot of value to actual people doing actual things that give them emotional satisfaction and make them feel like good people. So one of our power users from from the very early early days is actually a TV celebrity doctor from the 90s. And this guy is just amazing and fantastic. And what he does is he keeps detailed notes on his friends. And because he's got a background in medicine, he also keeps pretty detailed notes about, you know, what's been going on for his friends. And since he's in his 80s, a lot of his friends are also struggling from like pretty significant things as as they age. And so he keeps these copious notes and then he reaches out to each of his friends to check in and ask them about symptoms. And, you know, he's sort of playing this like light doctoral role still, even though he's no longer a practicing physician. And he's just so passionate about being able to, you know, check in with his friends that have particular conditions. And he knows that certain of those conditions will make them feel more lonely. And he's still in great health. So he's really excited about reaching out. Seeing your users actually gain value and make connections and grow their relationships, like there, there's there's nothing better than that. Okay, so let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you responded to it. You know, the biggest mistake that I made was after that successful advertisement got me so many user interviews like right in a row for such a cheap ad spend, I got really excited by digital advertising. And I said, okay, I'm going to, you know, no problem. I'm going to figure out my acquisition cost. I'm going to dial in the ads. We're going to do all the things that you need to do. And, you know, before, before I knew it, I had spent tens of thousands of dollars and had driven very few new users to the product. It just, it just was not an effective way for an early product, pre-product market fit to have the impact that we desired. And it was a, it was a really big turning point too for me in my product career, because like I said, I came mostly out of the emerging tech side of things. And, you know, the joke that I like to make is if you take Elon Musk and reusable rockets, I actually have a blog post on this. It's basically like marketing need is inversely proportional to like sort of the, the level of complexity of the thing that you've built and whether or not it's for a casual user or a more sophisticated one. So if you're Elon Musk and you build reusable rockets, you don't really need to do a lot of marketing because the handful of people on planet Earth, ergo NASA in this case, who need reusable rockets, they will find you if you've built them, right? And then on the other extreme side, you have tools like Network Nerd or productivity apps or things where there are hundreds of possible alternatives. And for those, you've got to think about marketing in a first-class way. And I think one of the things that I took for granted, given the emerging tech companies I had worked for, was our clients were always obvious, right? It was always about, could you convince that client? Could you get them to adopt? Had you built the right features for them? But you weren't wondering, you know, sort of who to go after. 
And so what I learned by sort of failing on digital advertising was that I had to become this guerrilla machine of finding the places that people congregate and care and talk about the types of things that I'm working on. I had to become as expert at testing market ideas as I have become at testing product ideas, right? So I had to start saying, you know, it is an equally valid test to see do teachers like to use Network Nerd to keep track of the parents of their students, or do MBA candidates like Network Nerd to keep track of the people that they're meeting in their MBA program? And trying out, you know, the same exact feature set, but with different markets in a guerrilla manner by just reaching out to people, going to meetups, talking to whoever you can find, right? Like putting in that sort of time instead of putting in so much time on the actual build of the product. That was, that was a big learning lesson for me. So this will be fun. And given our conversations, I'm curious where, where you're going to take it. What does the future look like for the product and for your current team? The future for Network Nerd, is, it's a funny one because on the one hand, there's only but so many things you do to keep track of the contacts, right? It's kind of funny. I talk to a lot of companies about how they expand their vision if they want to get access to capital to make the argument that they're a multi-billion dollar company. That's actually not what I'm trying to do with Network Nerd. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to expand the vision to say, you know, this is going to be the contact app that replaces all contact apps. You'll never need anything like it, or we're going to destroy LinkedIn or anything like that. So, you know, for us, we have sort of a simpler vision of the future. And that vision of the future involves continuing to make it easier and easier for people to get data into the system, but also expanding the number of places and ways that you can get that data in. So for example, one of the features that we're the most excited about that we released over the past couple of months is a Google Calendar integration. And what it does is it basically makes it so that anybody that you meet with on your calendar automatically becomes a network nerd contact. And we also register the last time you spoke to them, we keep track of their email address, And it makes it easy for you to remember to get back in touch with that person in the future. And so what we really want to do is we want to add more features like that. For example, we've been talking about making it easy when you're in an email conversation with someone and you say, hey, this was great. Let's follow up in a couple months. We want to make it really easy to go straight from that to contact in Network Nerd. And then the other thing that we're playing around with is we just released a feature that allows you to add notes by voice. And I think this is really powerful because, you know, again, the biggest complaint that we have among anyone adopting the product is like, oh, I don't have time to enter in the notes. And what we've been able to do is get it to the point where you can enter in three or four notes literally in under 10 or 15 seconds just by hitting the, the microphone. You speak the note, you hit save, you speak the next note, you hit save, you speak the next note, you hit save, and it's actually as fast as the words that I just said. But the next step there is to actually start intelligently parsing that context because Network Nerd does have this this rich set of types. What we realized through our research is that there's five or six different things that people want to capture every single time. They care a lot about kids. They care a lot about locations. They care a lot about birthdays, for example. And then there's a lot of just like totally free text notes. So one of the things we want to be able to do is parse directly from speech into those notes and over time empower users with even more custom types that can do things that people haven't really thought about yet. So what we do is we allow you to set certain types of notes 
to have a more frequent cadence. So when I have a friend who's looking for a job, I'll set it to a weekly cadence or a monthly cadence, and then I'll receive a reminder email whenever that cadence comes up. And, and as a result, I can be more thoughtful with that friend. So more features like that, we want to invest there. We want to support, you know, all the same things we're supporting, but cross-platform. So we support Google Calendar. We want to support Outlook Calendar. We support Apple Contacts. We want to support Outlook Contacts, stuff like that, like basic things. But that's kind of the path that we're taking is to slowly, incrementally, as we build more and more customers to work on those things. We are starting to play around with business customers. We are not trying to build this directly for businesses. But what we have found is that there are businesses that need to keep track of this data, but not for the business. So let me give a very concrete example. Salespeople, everybody everybody who's seen Network Nerd, you know, who is not a salesperson, the first thing they'll tell me is, oh, like you should use this with salespeople. And I'm like, okay, cool. But exactly why? And what we've learned is like, we don't want to be a CRM for sales. But what we have seen is that a lot of salespeople have the need to capture information about the prospects that are in their CRM system, but they don't want to put these personal notes about those individuals into the system that their boss is using to hold them accountable for their results, right? So it's sort of like the personal side of that business CRM system. Okay, let's switch to you, Adam. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. You know, one of the most influential people for me is a guy named Sham Sankar. Sham is the president at Palantir Technologies, and he's someone who I worked with pretty closely over the years while I was there. And, you know, he one of his mantras was like, he was always kind of yelling at me like, Adam, just, just clear your schedule and do this thing, <laughs> right? And it seems so simple, but it's such a powerful concept, especially as we get more senior in an organization and we have more responsibilities and we've got, you know, 10, 15, 20 meetings in a day. The idea that you're still in control and that when you have a massive opportunity and there's momentum, that you should just clear your schedule, just cut it all off, just get rid of all of it, send everyone a sorry, it's going to be a week email, and then just have that full focus time where you use every power of your being to accomplish whatever that big goal is. That's something that I think Sean was just a just tremendous person at helping people to realize. Another one I love is a guy, also another guy I worked with at Palantir, Mark Siana, who's now an angel investor. He's just so fantastic at doing what we used to call at Palantir forward deploying. And the idea is that you just, you get out as far into the field as you possibly can with your customer. And so whenever I'm, you know, whenever I'm having a bad day on, on Network Nerd or another project, I just try to remind myself, like, just go as far forward as possible. And whenever you get forward, that's where you see those real problems, like the example with the doctor who's taking care of his friends. And when you see those problems, it's motivating and it gives you a, a way to think about how to solve that problem in a first class way. Adam, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Kind of controversial. My advice would actually be don't bother unless it really takes off, right? And, you know, there's the way I really try to quantify this for a second. So if you take 
any idea and you imagine testing it with a thousand people who are part of your target market. So these are the people that should buy your product based on all of your assumptions. So for example, with Network Nerd, that would be people who have already shown that they're willing to capture information on their contacts. So these are people who have used the notes field in their app before. These are people who have built a spreadsheet of their contacts. That's like our target market, right? So if you take your target market and you could you could give a pitch to a thousand people in your target market, what happens is, you know, there's a couple products in the world like ChatGPT and Facebook where you know 970 of a thousand will immediately adopt the product or at least give it a try. And then there's the opposite side where you put it in front of a thousand and you could pretty much convince five people out of a thousand to do like literally anything, right? The product could be really ridiculous and backwards. And what I would say to early founders is if you, and you don't have to actually run the test on a thousand people, but if you do this thousand person test and you don't get say at least 50 or a hundred people who are excited by what you're doing, I would recommend going back to the drawing board. And maybe scrapping that whole idea, maybe coming up with a new solution. There's a lot of different ways that you consider pivoting. But what I have found is that the the products that really sail are the ones where that initial itch is scratched and it's scratched well enough that it can make up for the other mistakes. And so, you know, you can see this in the history of chat GPT, you know, Twitch as Justin TV, like people were actually watching, right? Replit, the first time they launched it, you know, a thousand something people quickly signed up for the product. If you don't see those sorts of results, I would say keep trying. That would be my biggest piece of advice to an early entrepreneur. That's fantastic advice. Well, Adam, thank you for being on the show today and telling the creation story of Network Nerd. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. <laughs>